everybody to the Seven Innings podcast. Very first time for me hosting. Really excited to fill in for Beth Moens. Courtney Lyle here. You can call me Sportney. Everybody goes by a nickname on this podcast, so I might as well throw in mine. And of course, we have our usual Scarborough, Smitty, Come At Me Bro, and Ho-Ro, of course. And we are so excited this week to be joined by the Florida State coaching staff. Of course, head coach Lonnie Alameda, Travis Wilson, and Craig Snyder. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us before a really big game against Florida tonight. Just another game. That's so right. excited. Just another game. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. So it's been really um, interesting. We spoke with you guys. Obviously, we saw you on our air a couple weeks ago in the first meeting against Florida. What have the last few games been like for Florida State since that meeting with the Gators? Terrible. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Gator hangover we talk about, and it's kind of extended a little longer. But No, I think it's been good for us. We've had to learn about ourselves a little bit, so we've been... Um, you know, you talk about boxing matches, right? And we're slugging it out right now, and we've been knocked down a little bit, and but we'll get back up and fight, and today's going to be a good opportunity for us. So, yeah. But it's been great for the Gators. They've been on a run. <laughs> we got them right. <laughs> well, what's the schedule like for you guys? Because of weather this weekend, you ended up playing a doubleheader on mm-hmm. Monday. So how do you manage this team with such a quick turnaround for tonight's game? Uh, I think it's that time of year, you know, you just play and it's awesome. And I know we're going to talk about the ACC network a little bit. It's awesome that softball's on TV and it's great, but it's also tough. You're Monday nights and you're playing some Wednesday nights and you're doing some Thursdays. You've got some big games and, you know, you don't really practice, honestly. Here's the secret. You just go home, get some rest and try to play. So if you put the hay in the barn in the fall, then you can trust it. And honestly... Probably had two hours of conversations yesterday with players. You're literally just trying to work the mental part of it. And if anything, this weekend, we we hurt ourselves a little bit mentally. And you're going to get tired this time of year, and it's not so much physically. It's a lot of mental stuff, too. So um, so maybe your practice becomes more in-office conversations uh, than getting out there and doing some things. Do you guys feel like this happens every year um, at a certain time? And you guys, with winning the national championship last year, where was that moment last year for your team that it, you kind of feel like is similar to this moment? Yeah, I mean, I would. I think South Alabama game going into Tuscaloosa was a big turning point for us last year in conversations. Um, so we had a game here against Lafayette um, that was uh, pretty good for us. Like we could feel that Wednesday night game a little bit of a turn for us. And um, but you know, it's a whole season. You don't know. We talk about all the time. Like, we don't know. We have a good practice. We have a good game. We have a good talk. Like, you do not know until the end of the year. So it's not like, oh, checkpoint, we have that, you know. <laughs> we lost a couple games and we're feeling out so good. We go over that. And you know, there's no blueprint and no book that, you know, you can read to do that. So I don't know. What do you guys think with that? Yeah, it's um, happened a lot later this season than it has in others. Uh, last year it was early at Alabama. First few weeks in, you're like, oh, okay, we're trying to find our way. But we started so hot. I mean, the St. Pete, we ran through everybody there. It's like okay, what's going on? Why are we playing so well early? And you have to, and we just wrote it, we wrote it, and now we get into conference, and now we're not hitting as well, we're not pitching as well, our defense is a little shaky right now, and it's all showed up at once. So well, I'm just glad it's happening now. I mean, you yeah. don't really want to be going into the postseason. Maybe UCLA is going to do that going at like 55-3, and three, and they're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> we haven't had the real meltdown yet, and maybe they don't have one. But for us, we've, we've had ours. Our last two weeks have been tough. Um, we've been on the road for three straight conference weekends. We've been two Monday nights on the road. I mean, not excuses, but not ideal for your, for your players with school and finals coming up and all that. So um, I, I see it turn around soon. I don't know if it's going to be tonight. We'll find out. But, um, yeah, it's, you've got to go through it at some point. 
We talk a lot about the mental approach to this game. How do you address that with your players? What do you want them to focus on, and, and how do you make sure they're ready in their head as a, and also with their bat? Yeah, I think we talk about process a ton, so uh, you don't just address the mental approach when it's going bad. We've been talking about it all along, and now it's kind of like, oh, you remember what we've been talking about? Yeah. <laughs> this is it. And... You know, all those are learning lessons for players as they, they grow in the game and through the game. So I think our, our foundation as a coaching staff has been laid, and we all know um, how to work through things. It's just when the opportunity arises when you can bring that conversation up. So um, now all of a sudden you're 0 for 4. Now all of a sudden you're not feeling as good. I can see your body language a little bit. Remember when we talked about body language? You know, now I'm starting to see it. So now it... The kid's like, oh, yeah, we've had that conversation. And, oh, now I know, yeah, this feeling sucks. You know, help me get out of it. Like, you know, and help me get out between my ears and those kind of things. And confidence is going to be shaken. And like T. Will says, um, I think it's – we've never really had it in all facets at one time. So that's a little bit different for us. Sometimes in the past we've been pitching and not hitting. We've been hitting and not pitching. Defense has been there. We're shaking a little bit everywhere right now. And I think that's a little bit, too, because the target's been on our back. We're doing things we've never done before, right? So we've never lost series before. We've never done that. It's not a big deal in our eyes, for sure. But to the players, it's monumental. Hmm. You know, oh, my gosh, historically we're doing something with this program. Like, it's always been historically we're moving the, the – the meter higher and now it's like we're doing something that's negative it's not negative it's normal but we've got to kind of love up the kids and just let them know just play the softball game and um so hopefully between get between their ears and and just let them free it up and maybe that's all for a big run in the end you know we, we just don't know but um these are good moments for us for sure all righty well let's go ahead and move on on your lineup card to slot number two <laughs> First time hosting, guys. you got to give me a break here. You can spend more time on the FSU so, part if you want. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. Yeah, tell, tell us your life story here. <laughs> well, there was a big series this weekend. Michelle, I know you were there for Alabama and Georgia as we step over a little bit to the SEC. And that Monday night game was just a little bit wild, if you will, especially on the Georgia side. Well, I think the whole series, um, and, and you guys will be comfortable to know that uh, UGA has had a little bit of uh, what you guys were experienced, where yeah. they had some collapses in all aspects uh, of the game. Uh, more so, it, it stood out, I think, defensively for them, but the whole series against Alabama, not even just Monday night, they they just struggled. And, you know, they've got two freshmen on the corners, and you expect a little bit of... Um, shakiness, out of rhythm between the freshmen, Sykes and Fincher. But a lot of the defensive errors actually came from their um, their more experienced elite players in DiCarlo and Mills up the middle. So to me, that was probably the most surprising part. Um, so they struggled, obviously, defensively with quite a few errors. And anytime you give any team, especially a top 10 team, extra chances, you're, it's going to be hard to keep them off the board. Uh, it's going to put more pressure on your pitching. And then that, in turn, puts a lot more pressure on your offense because now you're always playing from behind, so now you're swinging at pitches you probably wouldn't be swinging at otherwise. So it, it really started with the defense, and that collapse affected everybody else um, on the field. So Alabama, on the flip side of it, you have to give them a lot of you know kudos because they applied a lot of that pressure with their speed that helped force a lot of those errors. So it was a very interesting um, series in that way, but I, just, I love the way that uh, Alabama played. Montana Fouts came back, which was yeah. a, a big, big thing for them. She'd been out three weeks, and she looked fabulous. So Alabama was kind of clicking. 
Georgia, I think, is heading back to, limping back, I should say, to Athens and is going to try to fix things before their series at home this coming weekend. Um, but it happens. I mean, you see the best teams in the country will we'll go through that little bit of a, uh, a dip, um, and it's really how you recover from it that's important. And, and again, like you guys said, it, better, better now in April than in May, because if it shows up in May, the timing of that is awful, because yeah. it ends your season a lot yeah. of times. So, yeah. um, But, you know, I think uh, moving on to Alabama-Florida, that's going to be an interesting series, because Florida... Uh, playing tonight, mm-hmm. uh, you know, against Florida State with you guys is uh, is a big game for them. They're streaking, so they're on a seven-game win streak. Uh, and then coming up against Alabama at home is going to be, uh, I think, a very fun series. You've got, obviously, the big hitters and Lorenz and Lindemann that have been doing a good job. The question is, will the rest of the Florida lineup start to pick up around them, which they did against Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Scarborough, yeah. and uh, <laughs> she's crying over here, folks. Yeah. Um, uh, Silently weeping in the corner. Um, so for me, that's the big She'll question. Used to it by now. Ooh. Oh, come uh, on! Well, Michelle, you mentioned some of the speed for Alabama, and Caleb mm-hmm. Rowe had the chance to catch up with Alyssa Brown. I am here with Alyssa Brown, the leadoff hitter for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And Alyssa, Alabama this year has had a really great showcasing of speed plus power. But we know you guys can run the bases and hit the long ball, but how would you describe your team? Well, this year I just think we are we're all one. Like we are super close and I think that's that's why we're doing so well on this on the team on the field right now. Um, with the speed and power, we just we just mix it so well. We have some girls that hit for power and and can run fast, so it's just a huge um, bonus for the team this year. I heard that you like to dance a little bit. You got some personality on the team. What kind of stuff do you like to dance to? What kind of music gets you fired up for the game? Gets you ready to go, and not only for you but for the rest of the tide. Yeah, well, I think I can I can make a rhythm to any any song. So whatever's playing, we can we can just bounce off of each other and usually come up with whatever dance move is of the day. Um, but yeah, we just love to have fun. So I think that's anybody get out there and dance. Even Allie likes to dance sometimes. So. <laughs> All right. So you guys got a big series coming up against the Gators. What are you guys gonna do for prep this week? And what do you like about your chances against Florida? Well, this week we're going to Coleman, Alabama to celebrate Claire on Wednesday. So we'll use that as practice going into Florida. Um, we just want to stay strong right now. We're really confident going in and we have a lot of energy right now. So I think as long as we just stay where we are right now, we'll take this and dominate in Florida. And I'm really excited to go against the, the, the Gators this year. Awesome. Thanks, Alyssa. Thank you for having me, bro. So, Michelle, we heard Alyssa talk about the lineup. How important is it for Alabama going into this series with Florida to have Montana Fouts back in the circle? Yeah, I mean, that that's obviously going to be a, a really big part of um, their success. But Sarah Cornell, I thought, pitched lights out as well. And, um, you know, so they have an all-around staff. And Patrick Murphy was adamant about that, making sure that everybody knew that they were going to have a role and that everybody was going to be used. So Fouts back is a big part of it. Their speed is going to be a big part of it, making sure that they get on base, steal bases. And they've had a lot of home run power. Billy Hemphill has um, just been outstanding this year. Big turnaround. Uh, Claire Jenkins as well made some adjustments to her swing and has been hitting the ball well. So the, Alabama's playing very well rounded softball right now. They they look good. They're very confident, and you know that's the name of the game. <laughs> you know, sometimes we forget they're elite athletes, but they're still just eighteen to twenty two year olds. And confidence is key 
at, at that age level. When you're feeling good about yourself and about your swing or your pitches, you can, you know, you can shoot yourself to the moon. I think a lot of that too, um, like to Alabama standards, last year was not acceptable. Crazy, right? Like running across Alabama fans, like we were in uh, Atlanta and I was in an elevator and there's Alabama fans like our team's not any good. And I was like, baloney, like <laughs> really good, yeah. you know. And the standards of excellence is crazy and. I'm sure they heard that every single day. Like, our players right now, people walking by, like, it's okay. And you're like, wait, like, we have 37. Wait, like, what's okay? We're like, we're doing fine. So I think standards, and I bet they hear it a ton. And to me, they look like a rejuvenized team right now. Mm-hmm. They, they look like a, they love, their passion is back and playing and getting after it. And it's cool to see some of those pitchers coming off the bench and, and getting after pitches. Like, they're so excited about winning pitches. So I see a little bit different in Alabama right now, and it's, yeah. it is pretty cool. I'm excited to see Alabama in the next coming weeks because they've got UF this weekend, yep. UK, and then LSU. So they've got some of the top in the SEC coming up, and I think that's going to be yes. a real telltale of what, what's this yeah. Alabama team really about because right now it's been pretty impressive that it gets some challenges coming forward towards the end. You guys are preparing to face this Florida team tonight in your midweek like Alabama's going to face them this weekend. How do you prepare for the Gators if you're Alabama or Florida State tonight? Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, we're coming off a Monday night game, so yesterday was just relax, go, you know, we had a couple conversations, but play them a couple weeks ago, you know what you're going to face. It's a little bit different for us. It would be fun to play a three-game series, you know. I think three-game series are so much fun because you're making the adjustments, and our last couple three-game series, not so much fun because they're doubleheader single, you know. Like, the legit three-game series gives you the opportunity to really make adjustments, and I think that part's awesome, and to play a team like that is pretty awesome, but... Um, I know for Florida, it's going to be a little bit different. I mean, Alabama's got a lot of tools, so they're looking at speed, power, and pitching. Um, Florida's got a couple kids that can flat out get after it. Some kids are starting to get confidence behind the two um, two kids that are producing at the plate with Lindemann and Lorenz. So it'll be interesting with that part of it, too. And they're pitching. You know, I, I think Barnhill is, we all know, talented, so talented. I and mean, we talk about it all the time like she's pitching so much right now she's still striking people out you know at 62 63 miles an hour where she's at 68 but you know what's high tower what are the other ones going to contribute in the in the circle and who are we can see tonight you know yeah. high tower's a local right. kid mm-hmm. that'd be kind of cool for her i don't know though yeah barnhill's been throwing all the midweeks lately even against mercer and florida state like she's doing a lot of the pitching so yeah. the question is is do they hold her off tonight and go go at Alabama hard this weekend, which is probably more important than Florida State tonight on yeah. the road. So mm-hmm. if we get Barnhill sweet, we know what we get in there. But if it's Hightower and, um, you know, Farley and maybe yeah. even Chronister might get in there too, who knows? So yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll yeah. figure out how much Florida wants to beat Florida State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, tonight. I, I think they want to beat them pretty bad. I, I would yeah. be shocked if Barnhill didn't start yeah. this game tonight. Mm-hmm. And I think that... You know, she's a familiar name and face in softball because she's a senior, one national player of the year. When you guys are going up against her and preparing for her, so, so let's act like you guys really feel like you're going to face her. What what do you do? I think people would be interested to hear that. You know she's going to throw a rise ball. You know she's mm-hmm. going to throw hard. Like, how do you prepare for Barnhill? Well, I think the big thing for us is is you know you're going to strike out, right? It, that's just one of those things like, hey, you're facing elite pitching. You're going to strike out. That's okay. But if we can wear her down... If we can keep making her throw pitches and get that pitch count up and keep battling her, then maybe she'll miss once or twice. And when she does, maybe we can leave the yard. And that's been kind of successful for us for a couple games. She pitched here it was two years ago, and I think she mm-hmm. went to 11 innings. She struck out 16, but we got her in the end. You know, we yeah. hit the walk-off. Alex Powers hit the walk-off for him underwent it, you know. And so 
It was 21 strikeouts. 21 strikeouts. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's like Scott number. stepping yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of strikeouts. Well, maybe yeah, not yeah. strikeout 21 times, yeah, but, right, right, right. <laughs> but if we walk them off, I'll take 21 punches. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> But, you, but you're going to have to battle. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of innings of pitching. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But that's you're going to have to battle, and, and she's an elite pitcher, so you, you got to stay mentally tough. And so that's the big thing is like you may be 0 for three, but that fourth at bat may be the one that wins the game. And so you got to stay locked in mentally. You have to. I think what people don't probably don't realize about it too is she really only throws a strike to one part of the zone, and that's up and into righties and away to lefties. So. You can kind of hone in on one spot in the zone offensively and know that that's where she's going to attack, especially when she's behind in the count. So you don't have to worry too much about the down stuff. You can see she's working on a drop ball, but it's not mm-hmm. believable a whole lot. A lot of time it's down. It's that spinner up and into righties that can wee out and away to the lefties. So that's what we'll be honing in on. And this is an interesting conversation because any elite pitcher in the world will – it's not – the strikes that strike you out. It's their Correct. ability to get you to swing yes. at balls. Yes. That's what strikes you out. That's what mishits. That's what wins games for them. And they don't walk batters, but they get hitters to swing through pitches that are outside of the zone. And yeah. so that's where, as a hitter, you, you have to be thinking like that. That's why it's so important, your pitch selection, attacking strikes only, and leaving everything outside of the zone uh, you know, to be called ball is right. the way you beat elite pitching. Yeah. But it's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we look at it, to beat elite pitching, you got to get them early in the count and early in the game. Yeah. If you don't get them early in the count and you fall behind, they're going to wear you out. And if you don't score early and they settle in, then all of a sudden, hello, you're in the fifth inning and they're rolling and you're not going to get too much going. So early in the count, early in the game, and, uh, you know, what are we playing for? Maybe two or three swings tonight against Barnhill? Like, we need two or three hitters yeah. to get a swing off, and you can change the game. It's not like, hey, everyone go out there. We need two hits from everybody. It's like, <laughs> right. you, you, and you, I need one swing today. Yeah. yeah. You know, and get after it. So, you know, I don't think it's going to be 10 to 9, but hey, if it is, so be it. But usually <laughs> low scoring. All righty, let's move on to number three on your lineup card. Again, Sportney Scarborough, Smitty. Come at me, bro. I'm starting. That's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> and Poro on this one. And, of course, we're joined by the Florida State coaching staff, Lonnie Alameda, Travis Wilson, and Craig Snyder. We're going to go to number three on your lineup card. we got a new number one team in the nation. And, Amanda, we had the chance to see the old number one, UCLA, this weekend against Oregon. They lost that Friday game to an Oregon team who has really struggled in Pac-12 play. I don't know if anybody was expecting Oregon to come in and beat the number one team in the nation in Westwood. Isn't it crazy how it took them until game three in the sixth inning to really settle in? I mean, they game one, they lost. Game two, they won, but they still didn't look themselves. And then game three, it was tied until the sixth inning, one to one. So, We saw a UCLA team court that was pressing a little bit because of the expectations that they're supposed to beat Oregon now, whereas in the past, it was going to be like a rivalry matchup. And if they lost to Oregon, you know, it was okay in their minds. But now with Oregon being at the bottom of the pack, having a losing record, they're (coughs) feeling that pressure of like, we're supposed to win this game versus, hey, let's just play our best ball and be able to you know, be us. So um, they just look different. You know, you could tell they were pressing a little bit, but I think that it was good for them in the sense that they're going to feel that same type of pressure and expectations in the postseason too. Like it's not going to be as easy as it is for them or what it has been in February and March, kind of rolling over teams, only losing to Michigan and then stumbling a little bit now, but they're going to face pressure in the postseason. And I think that this, they're going to look back at this series and really learn a lot from it and, and what they, how they were still able to win two out of three when they weren't playing their best ball. But um, Rachel Garcia, you know, still 
looked strong to me. They relied on her a couple of times, but you can tell they're going to rely on her more in the postseason, too. Were you surprised, Amanda, that she didn't start game one of that series and that Faramino came out with the ball? I want to say that I was surprised, but she had told us that Kelly I had told us in the press or the press conference, in our, uh, <laughs> in our conference call with her, that Faramino was going to start on Friday night. So she told us that early in the week, so I wasn't as surprised. But And also Garcia had pitched game two the weekend before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I was kind of expecting her to pitch game two. Um, but they are, you know, they're sharing the load a little bit. All mm-hmm. of their starters yeah. got a different start on the weekend. So they, that's how they've been working it. So when you look at the pattern of what they've been doing, it wasn't as surprising as maybe back in February. I've been, like, shocked with Do you it. think they learned that from last year when they, all they had was Garcia going into the World Series and they didn't really have a backup? Because we kind of exposed them in that regard at the World Series that when we hit the three-run home run to go ahead three to one she had to come back out in the heat yeah. which then it didn't have any help with her and we kind of wore her down again you think that's what they're preparing for now yeah i think so and actually we had looked up the stats on this of how many innings last year that garcia had thrown up to this point in comparison to this year and believe it or not she's actually thrown a few more innings this year than mm-hmm. she did last year and i personally yeah, right. was shocked like i could yeah. just couldn't believe yeah. it but what i think happened was that she threw so much in the month of may and then in yeah. the world series that it just started to pile up so while they don't want her to go through a lot of wear and tear of course and have her ready what are they going to do in the postseason are they still going to rely on the pitching staff or are they going to fall back to what they know on rachel garcia who will end up throwing I think still a lot of innings for them. Yeah, and I think the way possibly to look at this as well is it's not how much Garcia is or isn't throwing; it's how much they're trying to get the other two ready. ready. And so you've got to get them ready. You've got to give them innings yeah. and pressure situations because you can't just all of a sudden throw them in May yeah. when they're not ready. So for me, this is more about getting mm-hmm. the two younger ones <laughs> to be able to be a help in May, yeah. ready for Garcia. Pitching coach. Does that sound about right? I totally agree with it. And, and it's not so much the pitchers to get ready. It's for the defense to be comfortable, play behind the pitchers. Because when you throw someone else out there and the defense is a little like, oh, I don't know, and now they're on edge, and then one ball trickles between someone's leg, and then all of a sudden the pitcher's like, oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you've got to get them out there enough to, to get some comfort zone on both sides of it. But, but I, look what they did in game three. They pulled yeah. Holly Acevedo with, like, a one-hitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With a one-hitter and – do they have the lead at that point? I can't remember. But she was throwing well, but they were quick. I mean, it was a close game, yeah. Yeah. a must win, and they yeah. were so fat quick to throw Rachel Garcia yeah. out there. And yeah. Acevedo's throwing well. Yeah. Megan Faramo is a great freshman yeah. for them, and she's throwing very well. But I still think, yeah. yes, they might be ready and have all these great innings, yeah. but they're still going to fall back mm-hmm. on Rachel Garcia when it really I matters. think if Arizona wasn't 12-0 and at the time, then maybe Acevedo would have stayed out there a little bit longer. But they've yeah. already – they've given away one game to Arizona and that's their big last series they're not going to want to have to go in and win all three maybe win two out of three and take the pack so it was a must win for them it really was yeah I gotta give a shout out to to Jordan Dale of Oregon we were just so impressed Mm -hmm. I mean she's pitched like every inning for them and she's really I mean they have she's their only scholarship pitcher right now for Oregon and we got to talk to her Amanda and her Mm -hmm. mindset is just like I'm gonna throw every pitch and it's you know it's just what I'm gonna do and it's not a big deal with yeah, that, she's moved super. on from the ACC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how Virginia Tech would be with oh. her adding oh, yeah. a third arm and a lefty to their staff. Two ways to look at that, though. Yeah, yeah there's, you know, there's the way you pitch and then the type of teammate you are, too. So I think that all comes into play as well. Yeah. 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 I'd be curious, though, too, like, um, looking at UCLA. So Bovine beat UC, or UCLA in Fullerton. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And then Jordan Dale heard his name, off-speed spinning. So is that the kryptonite? And lefties. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because not a lot of them have them <laughs> Michelle in their it. bullpen. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lefty, and then there's a lefty that can spin it in, out, and mix yeah. speeds. Mm-hmm. And she did that tired and for three games and gave them fits. So that'd be kind of interesting, you know? Yeah. So whoever point. matches up with them down the line, yeah. draft or do a trade to get I do think bottom line though when UCLA gets out of their own way and they are able to find a way to play loose and relax for whatever that reason is like internally within their team and coaching staff they're one of the best teams I mean they are they're so yeah. talented they have one of the best offenses so when you really see them play like they did in the sixth inning Courtney a three run homer a grand yeah. slam finding ways just to get singles through the infield mm-hmm. I mean they're an explosive team and a team to be reckoned with for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's go to the new number one. That would be Oklahoma this week on a 28-game winning streak, the longest active winning streak right now in the nation, fourth in Oklahoma history. Um, what are your thoughts on Oklahoma right now, guys? Are we the last team to beat them? I think so. No, UCLA is Mary Nutter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just plugging yourself. We're, 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 sorry, we were the first team. The committee to might be listening right now. We were the first team to do them. That's what it was. Uh, don't, let it, don't let a fact get in the way of a, a yeah. good story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's our mind. It's a question. Okay. <laughs> Uh, what do you guys think about Oklahoma? They're legit. Yeah, I mean, they've got they got three legit pitchers. I mean, they've got senior leadership. They, they've got the offense. I mean, they are the complete package. And so, obviously, they've they've been there. They've done it before. They've got to say, you know, they're, they're they're them and UCLA are they're they're the two best teams in the nation by far, mm-hmm. by far. When you look at NCAA stats, they're leading in batting average, ERA, and fielding percentage. So yeah. when you're doing that, you're number one in the entire NCAA on that. You know, your record's going to be good. G. War is still undefeated. Uh, you know, they're just doing things right. They're not giving away free passes, and they're playing defense when the ball put it, is put in play, and then they're typically pitching with a lead, yeah. Yeah. which makes your life, you know, so much nicer in the circle. So they're just a complete, complete, uh, complete team right now. Yeah. I think one person that doesn't get talked about enough is Shannon Sale. Did you guys ever face her because she she's, transferred from a Florida school? Yeah. I mean, she's in there just quietly flying under the radar, but she adds so much depth to their staff. She's yeah. coming in a lot of relief appearances, able to close games. Mm-hmm. So they truly have a complete pitching staff. What Have you guys faced her? Do you guys know? Well, we faced her when it, when we played Oklahoma this year. And That's so, right. I mean, she's, she's good as well. I mean, mm-hmm. she spins it up and has a changeup. And so she's – and I think it's interesting because – each pitcher complements each, each other. So you got Lopez, who's got a little bit of everything, you know, up, yeah. down, change. And then you've got, you know, Juarez, who's lefty, more spinning. And then you got Sales spinning it up from the right side. So I, yeah, that's a good staff. Really good staff. Yeah. It helps when you score on seven, eight runs a game, too. Their, yeah. their offense. I think when we played them, that's the one thing that stuck out, uh, stuck out to us was, oh, my goodness, here's another athlete at the plate. They yeah. just keep coming at you one through nine. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're this solid. Trying yeah. to leave the yard, and you got a senior class who's <clears throat> won a national championship. Two of them, I think. They, they won yeah. two, and then had a little break last year. And you know that they're going to want to come back and win number three. God, it's hard to believe that they're still there because I feel like we've been talking yeah. about them for so long. Yeah. 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 yeah what about this weekend? Yeah, against oh, right. Texas. This weekend against Texas. Um, playing in Austin, I think my prediction, and, you know, I, I like this Texas team. You guys know that I've been pretty high on them. I think Oklahoma sweeps, and I, mm. I, I just think they're hard to shut down. I, and a lot of it has to do with, to me, how Miranda Ellis is pitching because she went through a little lull there, So, and we haven't gotten a chance. To, I don't feel like they've been hidden in the Big 12 to see her pitch as of recently. If she's pitching her best, Texas can win a game. But if she's a little bit in and out, I think Oklahoma sweeps. 
What yeah. about O'Leary? She throws it right too. Yeah, 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 yeah she does. Yeah. Freshman. I think the key stat for me for both of those, O'Leary and Ellish, is they both have a whip under one. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to pitch like that. Yeah. They are. They yes. cannot issue free yeah. passes. Oklahoma is going to have to earn their way on base every at-bat, and they're going to have to keep the ball in the yard. If they do that, if they can keep the ball in the yard and they don't put them on base and make Oklahoma basically have to go station to station, then I, I think they have a chance. I mean, it's a it's a four and five RPI matchup this weekend, yeah. and I think that's surprising for Texas to be at yeah. five RPI. Yeah. That's yeah. that's impressive. It is impressive, and it's and it's a rivalry game too. Yeah. I mean, it's a, the Red River rivalry is, is huge, so mm-hmm. that could go either way just because the emotions are high and um, three game set. But yeah, I'm kind of with you, Amanda. I think Oklahoma takes care of business down in Austin. They're just so good, yeah. you know. And it is surprising to see their RPI all the way up there. And mm-hmm. look, Shay O'Leary is fantastic too. She shut out Tennessee earlier in the year. Uh, great changeup, throws really, really hard. She's long, but it's just their offense is so hard to shut down, and their pitching staff is so hard to mm-hmm. score more than what Oklahoma is going to yeah. score. Yeah. Again, remember that that series is going to start on Thursday this week, mm-hmm. so they won't play on Sunday, Easter Sunday. So oh. Texas and Oklahoma coming up this week. All right, on the Longhorn Network. Oh. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> I think it's great for Texas, for Oklahoma, too, to have those the Texas and Oklahoma State games yeah. ending kind of towards mm-hmm. the end of the season. Yes. Yeah. Because you can get in a conference where you're not playing competitively, and then all of a sudden, you know, now we're in North Dakota State again when they were at that regional, you know, and kind of getting challenged yeah. a little bit. So, because yeah. I think Oklahoma State can do, I mean, Shadow's got some chip on her shoulders, too, so that's yeah. kind of good for them. So, two rival when's the last time the, the, the texas ou matchup has been this high like when's the last time it's been a legit Great question. well that's it i think it was back when um Kalani was i think it's probably been seven Kalani eight years Luna, ago Luna Luna Luna. i actually yeah. came in and called the series yeah. it was for the longhorn network and oklahoma was number one okay there we go mm-hmm. yeah so Ben, I think we may have worked that together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vegas Vicky back there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> ben Hogue, our producer for tonight's game. But um, yeah, so uh, Oklahoma was number one, and Texas actually ended up beating them um, in that. So not not winning the series, but I believe beating them hmm. in a game. So it was it was a big. So deal it's been a bit then. then. So it's been a bit. What yes. a great thing for softball. That's awesome because yeah. this is a great rivalry. Yeah, Texas OU is a great rivalry. Yeah, and you know Mike White will be ready for it. His yeah, first, so he came here and he probably got told at his interview, "You need to win this right. series." Yeah. So it's going to be game on. And yes, first year doing it. Awesome. Yeah, he's in it, so that's cool for. For that. Yeah. yeah. All right, moving on to number four on the lineup card. Of course, we are so glad to be in Tallahassee right now talking with the Florida State coaching staff, the entire Florida State coaching staff. <laughs> so we want to talk about the Knowles a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and I'm kind of interested to know we're seeing so much technology be brought into the game in mm-hmm. preparation and recovery. How do you guys use that to get your team ready in the off season and during the season? Mm-hmm. Um, I probably – Technology-wise, is the Woot Band is probably one of the things that we use. And um, last year we got it middle of the season, middle towards the end, um, mainly for sleep, trying to figure out sleep patterns and sleeping, um, to have good conversations with sleep and hydration. Then we've used it for the full year this year. It's gotten way more detailed. We'll have to look at the end of the year and see how detailed we want to be with it. And we've gone to the extreme of doing everything with itineraries, when we wake up, when we go to sleep, when we snack, when we sn- when we nap, like all those kind of things. And um, I'm not that detailed, to be honest. Like, you know, I'm a coffee up till 3 a.m. Like, you know, so, like, if you're talking from the head down, it's been a lot for me, honestly. Um, where does that fit into a college kid's life? You know, so that's, I think we, we as a coaching staff do a really good job of, like, oh, this is be cool. 
And then we like, okay, does this fit into an 18, 19, 20-year-old's life? Like, let's talk about the reality of it. So I think Whoop has been a great conversation for us um, just on sleep warriors and who's sleeping. Um, when you go to the extra mile of it, then we've really had to have conversations about that part. So I think that's the main thing with technology that we really kind of yeah. get into. Um, uh, everything else, we, we just, we're pretty old school. I mean, we do lots of little video, you know, but that's <laughs> not technology. That's old stuff now. Um, everyone's got that, which is kind of crazy but yeah so that's probably the biggest one that we've been using which coach gets the least amount of sleep between you guys coach oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not and i can take a nap anywhere stay with us for a little while longer yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's always good you get whoop says i nap and everyone's like oh, okay you know and everyone yeah. goes off it's like our little thing but yeah, it's pretty funny that's no. what i was about to say like i wish someone would tell me to take a nap and be like okay yeah. fine if you yeah. said it then yeah. i'm yeah. in yeah but I think what whoops helped us a lot too is it's the modalities and recovery side from playing softball games because you don't realize how taxing it is on the athletes, especially when you get these double headers. And we, we saw a lot in Oklahoma City when we were, we decided we wanted to play two games a day, you yeah. know, by losing the first one. <laughs> so we're doing saltwater floats, we're doing you know the Cairo freezes, we're doing a lot of things, rollouts, yoga, things to try to maintain the body and get the body back to you know um, the ability to perform and go out and play in the heat in Oklahoma City. So yeah, that's helped us a lot. Um, Coacha. Yep. I wanted to ask, first of all, how you got that name. Yeah. <laughs> Just very quickly, because as I said, I'm like, wait, how did that even come about? How did how did that happen? Um, they call you Kocha. Yep. We were at Stanford, and um, I was coaching before John Rittman got there. John Rittman gets hired and comes in. He decides to keep me. So we're together. First team meeting, he's like, I'm Coach Rittman. I have earned coach title, Coach Rittman, Coach Alameda. And when you say Coach Alameda, it's like, the alphabet, right? Because it looked at like so much. So eventually, those smart girls, right? Hey, this is Coach, and this is Coach uh, the feminine version of Coach. <laughs> and it just stuck. So some people might call Coach A, Coach A. And then when I got the job at UNLV, it was so cool. Um, about seven of the Stanford girls came down to Vegas on the weekend, and they hid notes all over the field, and our players found them. And it was like, you know, you guys respect Coach A, love Coach A, she's the greatest. And all the players are like, who's Coach A? You know, and I told the story, and it's just stuck forever. So, yeah. Okay, so you you like to recruit pitchers who spin the ball very well. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for our listeners and what you look for in a pitcher and why you like pitchers who spin the ball well. Yeah, well, I think anytime you can attack the zone – like you can throw in the zone and beat the bat, you're going to be successful throughout the whole season. And I've always been a proponent, and we have always talked about trying to help the the umpires and creating better zones because our poor hitters at times were just getting so screwed <laughs> um, on such a big zone, right? So yeah. if you if you can be a pitcher and, and I you know watching Major League Baseball and those guys like throw through the zone with like, legit movement, like I have got a curveball that's going to beat you, and you know it as a hitter. Like, that's confidence to be able to throw in the zone and pound the zone. So you can't do that with a fastball. You can do it for an inning or two, but after a while, it's not, you know, you're going to be spot pitching. So it's more being able to spin the pitches. And then if you can find a kid at a young age that can spin it and can mix speeds, now you're talking, you're messing with the hitter's timing. And when you get to college, you're going to put two, three miles an hour no matter what because you're in the weight room. So if you can throw those couple miles on plus the spinning pitches, now you can attack the zone and you're pounding the hitters. And now you're mixing speed, so they have to have a plan. If they don't have a plan against you, then you're going to be pretty successful. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of what we look for. And it's funny because if we're out recruiting, all of a sudden 
T. Willow Craig will send me texts like, you need to see this kid, she got a change up. You know, like right away, she can spin the ball, you know, and like, it's, it's pretty awesome. And I think we're all on page with that, which has been really cool over the time, too, is we know exactly what we're looking for and we know what each other likes. So then we can run to a field and go find it. But yeah, that, that's kind of uh, one of the reasons why. And cool. Yeah. Um, quick question. What's yep. your favorite, like, metric or stat when you're looking at your, your pictures? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the one that you're like, all right, she's doing well? And this is the stat that shows it. Is, well, is there anything that we're not like doing that? right now? Yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yet. Yes, thank yet. you. The power Please. of yet. The power of yet, yeah. Cause the, <laughs> we haven't really been lights out this year um, because we are um, young in that sense, yeah. you know. But first pitch strikes are huge. Yeah. And, I mean, we've hit the 70% mark like four times, I think, this season. And we've played a lot more games than that. So, um, but again, yet. We know what we're trying to do, we have an idea of why we're doing it. Our young pitchers, when I go out there now, they can look me in the eye and say, I want to throw this. So we're growing a ton. And Megan's actually taken on, you know, a little more emotional role, trying to do a little more than she's capable of at times. And that doesn't make Megan good either. So, you know, we've struggled a little bit there. And then I think back-to-backs is a huge one. When you allow momentum, um, and that goes pitching and defense, but right now it's on the pitcher side of it because we're walking too many people. So we're, we're putting too much pressure on the defense with momentum sides. So I always give them their percentage of momentum. Like, you know, I mean, you got your 11 for 14. So 11 times, you know, 14 times there was a hit by pitch, a walk, an error, or something. And, uh, you know, 11 of those times we shut down. So we give them three chances with back-to-backs to create momentum. Like, we want to we want to hammer that. We want to be 14 for 14. They hit a solo shot, who cares? If they do something, who cares? But you don't want to do a walk and then an error, and now we got double in the gap. Like, right. be that iron curtain in the circle to get it done. Or have the ability to turn around to your defense and be like, all right, I'm going after this next kid, and they look at you like, okay, let's go get the double player. Let's do this, and then execute that part of it. So in the past, we've been really good at that part, and, you know, right now I'm, we're building. We're building on that. So, yeah. So those are two things that we really hone in on and talk about. I'm curious. We have a couple of pitchers who like pitchers that hit, and you mm-hmm. have a couple of pitchers that hit. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's awesome. I mean, it gives you so much more depth in the lineup, and um, Mackenzie Herzog right now is um, unique. Um the other part of it, too, is these two do so much hitting, and there's so much knowledge of hitting. There's a little pressure on the defensive side to do some things. Outfield, not so much. Maybe so much infield. And then pitching, right? We're talking pitching all the time and knowledge. And you're a freshman, and you're going through being a freshman. So I think she's gotten so much better every single time she's gone out. But she's got she's starting to swing the bat. She's mm-hmm. stealing some bases. She's situational hitting. She's pitching with a little more aggression now, so she's grown up quite a bit. So she's kind of someone... Um, that, that's really unique in that sense. Um, and then Cass Davis, you know, can, can swing it a little bit. Um, but it's a lot. It's a lot as a pitcher nowadays to come in and um, try to learn your craft, especially if you're a starting pitcher. You know, if you're going to contribute a lot of innings, it's really, really tough to do that and then go in and, you know, struggle on the, the learning side of hitting. Um, so, like Garcia, you know, I mean, those, those kids are – Chow a little bit. They're special, mm-hmm. and they, they add a lot of depth. And now you can put a defensive person in there that doesn't hit. There's there's a yeah. lot of really cool things you can do with it. I think Amanda calls them unicorns. Yeah, they are. We are unicorns, not they. Mm-hmm. We are unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's very few of us, but we're very special. Yeah. Way more now though than there's been. Yeah, and way more now in the sense that coaches are allowing those kids to mm-hmm. hit. Right. So if you look at UNC and Pickett, I mean, she's just coming back from getting injured, right? So there's your kid that can leave the yard, but also is pitching you into postseason. 
and you're allowing her to be in there where in the past you're like mm, we want you to pitch we don't want you to run and pull a hamstring and roll an ankle you know but so it's been kind of and now like everyone's letting it happen and you know, and then you're like, well, if she gets hit and breaks a finger again, you know, we're okay with it. Well, know? that's so, one thing yeah. to pay attention to, too, that I failed to mention in the UCLA series was that Rachel Garcia got hit, in the yep. pit, yeah. uh, hit by a pitch on her non-throwing hand, but mm-hmm. she came out of the game, came back into it, but was super iced up. So yep. pay attention. It was our left hand just throwing yeah. that out there. Yeah. yeah. There's well, no there's, risk. And, and it is yeah. interesting because Miranda Ellish is another one of the, in fact, she has yep. the second highest batting average for Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, sa- same thing with um, Sam Chow. You know, very high in their mm-hmm. in their ability to produce runs, as well as being their ace pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, but Elish, I believe, throws right handed, hits left handed. Yeah. So those mm-hmm. are the ones you worry about because now yes. they're more exposed. Yeah. That that pitching arm is yeah. is the front arm and more. And exposed. she didn't have to she didn't have to hit at Oregon because right. Oregon right. had so, so now she goes to Texas and not the depth hitting wise. So now you're like, okay, I want to get my best nine hitters mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. All right, what are we going to be okay if we lose her running the bases or that? Because she's the meal ticket to the postseason and deep. Yeah. Does it? Does she really need all these at bats? That's the question you got to ask as a coach. Yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on to number five on your lineup card. We're going to Ho Row for this one. Holly Row had the chance to talk with Kentucky head coach Rachel Lawson. Rachel Lawson, Kentucky softball head coach. Hi. I hear that the Cats bees have you all a flutter. Hair, are, are you getting your hair done? The makeup's done. What's happening? It, well, yeah, it started at well. I had to find shoes. I had to. I ordered a dress. I had to see if it even fit this morning because it was waiting on the doorstep when I got home last night. I uh, have to do my nails and you know the pedicure and stuff, and that took over two hours. Which that's I do time in terms of softball games, so that's like two softball games I didn't get to watch, and then. Um, <laughs> I got to do my hair later tonight, although I've learned that if I make appointments ahead of time, it goes a lot smoother than like four years ago when I would just start stopping at the only place that would take me. So I'm, I'm doing better. I'm doing I love better. this. And, you know, you're coming off all this and you're coming off a tough weekend trip yeah. uh, to LSU. But you guys beat LSU, which I thought was really significant because they're obviously leading in the standings in the SEC. And you've got a young kind of you've got some older pieces, but young pieces, too. How important was that win for your group? Well, I think it was a really big deal on Friday because we're so young in the circle and, and we're trying to figure out how to close games and, and uh, just give better performance. And I thought they did a great job. And then defensively, we've been working really hard on our outfield to get them to mesh. And, and um, they've been doing awesome. And then the catch that Bailey Vick made in left field was the ball was hit so hard. So I, I was really impressed with that. So there were so many great things going on. And then, you know, offensively, we're a very good offensive team, but our offense has kind of been going the route of our pitching and our defense. So if we can put it all together at one time, I think we should uh, be able to finish pretty strong. So two follow-ups there for me. Abby Cheek, offensively, you talk about her hitting 482. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy the year she's having. How can that become contagious with your group, and how is she doing so well? She's always been such a powerful hitter. You know, she's she's incredibly strong. She's incredibly fast. If she was a guy, she'd be worth millions of dollars. Um, but the one thing that she's always been lacking is her plate discipline. And, and this year, she's not only worked really hard on it, but she's starting to see um, the uh, fruit of her labor. So she, she's been great. She's been staying within herself. She's not trying to win the game with one swing. Although, because she has better plate discipline, she's able to uh, score up on balls more regularly. So she's just been outstanding this year 
And hopefully we can get people to consistently hit behind her because now what other teams have been starting to do is pitch around her. So if we can make sure that the other people are rolling, that that could really help us in the postseason. Tell me how, as a coach, you help someone get plate discipline. You know, like you get up there and she just wants to swing for the fences because she can. Give me some specific drill work or something interesting that you've done with her to help her be disciplined. Well, you know, we've always worked on the mental approach of that. And for the longest time, I would just yell at her when she'd swing overhead and out of the zone. And and what came to my attention this year is I think she did that because she wasn't visually picking up the picture soon enough. So the whole time I was thinking it was just her, you know, trying to do too much. And, and still she gets into that. But when she gets into that, really the mechanical problem is that she's not syncing up um, with the pitcher and locking in. So she's not picking up the ball early enough. And once we recognize that, then we just started to do all of our drill work on um, pitch recognition and stuff. You know, she works on her swing on her own all the time. She's an incredibly hard worker. So when she's in practice, we just work on picking up the ball. And that seems to be what she needed to continue to uh, improve this season. Oh, that's interesting. There's always a reason, right? It's mm-hmm. interesting when you break it down. All right, young pitching. I looked at some of the pitching numbers, and the mm-hmm. ERAs are probably not exactly what you love, but what are they learning, or how are they growing? Well, I think with uh, – no, the ERAs are not what they want. So don't look um, at those. Colleges. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, you not. can look at them. I mean, I look at them every day. And you know what gets measured gets managed, right? So, you know, if you, you measure the gap – you know, you can get in trouble. But if you measure incrementally the gain, like how they're doing it. And so what we're focusing on is quality pitches and and their quality pitch percent and seeing if that improves every weekend as opposed to looking at the um, bigger numbers. But um, I think the biggest thing is hitters are so much better now. Their approach is better now with TV. Um, I love ESPN. I think it's great. But one of the things that it's done is it's made it harder on pitching. And you can see that across the country. So pitchers are really going to have to learn how to throw with game plans. And and uh, hitters can make really good uh, adjustments as they go throughout the games, and, and they can um, hit the ball whether no matter where they pitch it. So it's important that the pitchers learn to break the ball earlier. It's important that they really commit to changing speeds. If they're pickable, you know, there's coaches and managers all over the place working on, um, you know, picking them. And, and so it's important that the pitching catches up with today's technology and, and today's video and ESPN and everything. I know it's a good problem and a bad problem. So speaking of television and ESPN, SEC softball tournament is coming up. We're so excited. Um, I, I still remember the the one that I did. I think it was the first one I did was here in your brand new spanking stadium. And Susan Lack just told me the funniest story that, you know, you guys are getting the building all put together and that Mitch Barnhart's like, everyone leave your offices and go help get this stadium ready. That is the coolest story. I wish yes. I would known then, but like you have, you know, technical administrative people here getting your stadium ready so tell me what it's been like to host and like what we can get excited for well it to watch how espn came on board is amazing so two things that i love about the sec tournament in addition to how great the players are and the, and the coaches are outstanding is number one every time a school has been able to host they've made an upgrade to their facility and i think that that is amazing. And the reason, you know, athletic departments do that is because it's going to be showcased on national TV. It's the premier event on that weekend. And so I think the commitment to softball um, and knowing that the country is is really going to get on board is, is such a big deal for softball. Because while our stadiums aren't big enough to generate revenue, what we do do for schools is is create a lot of exposure. And to be a women's sport, to be able to add that kind of value to an athletic department is just incredible for our sport. But the other thing 
um, that I think is amazing is how I've watched ESPN grow. Now we have the podcast going on. We have the staging that goes on, um, you know, behind the outfield or wherever it is at all the venues. And, and it gives such a cool feel to the athletes. I think it's so important when they walk in and they see all the hoopla. And, and for that moment in time in their life, they feel like they're a big deal. They feel like they're special. And, and that's something that all of us have worked so hard for for so many years is for people to have that feeling, even if it's just for that weekend, you know, one time a year throughout their entire career and, and I think it's so special and, it, and it's what we've all tried so hard to accomplish for the women awesome well thank you so much I will see you soon at the SEC softball tournament and thanks for letting me crash your office on the Catsby's days when I know you've got other girl stuff to worry about <laughs> lots of girl stuff but thank you very much I appreciate it okay so you heard Rachel talk about the SEC network you guys have the ACC network coming that brings us to number six on your lineup card we're talking about the ACC what do you think that will do for the sport of softball in the ACC? Yeah, ACCN, I think is the name of it. I know yeah. there's a lot of brainstorming to get that. Pretty cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> but they did talk about it. Like, we brainstorm. I'm like, oh, it would be tricky. You know, we've been in your brainstorming before, too. It's funny. But, yeah. um, amazing. Amazing for the game of softball. Um, you know, we've been so excited that there is a little different flag flying in Oklahoma City, and it's the ACC, you know, Florida State. We're being represented. So, you know, it's cool that this conference now is moving into with a network with, you know, something behind it. And now having UNC um, beat us in a series, Louisville beat us in a series on TV, it's just raising the bar for the conference in the game of softball. So um, it'll be cool. Things like that, you know, you're getting a little insight to Rachel Lawson. People are going to get an insight to the ACC and, you know, how Virginia Tech's turned it around. And you're going to hear different ways of doing things. And I think there's so many people out there at young ages trying to learn how to play the game of softball at a good level at 12U, 14U, 16U. And now you're getting an insight to college coaches. And so we've had so much on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And now we're actually going to be interviewed and it's going to be network. And it's, it's going to be really, really cool. Yeah, I think it's coming at a great time, too, because... It's been, I think, four or five years since ACC had more than like three teams in the in the postseason. I think it was maybe 2014 that we had seven. I think that's right. I could be wrong on that date, but um, but now we're looking at probably getting five in this year. Right now, RPI wise, we've got five teams in the top 40 in the RPI. So it comes at a great time when the when the conference is starting to pick it back up because we had a lull there for a little bit, and now all of a sudden the competition's way better, the pitching's way better, the coaching's way better. So we're seeing a lot of great things happening. Um, in our conference now. Yep. Yeah, what's the biggest change that you guys have seen in the ACC? Because we're seeing teams like Virginia Tech, I mean, taking steps forward. You guys taking steps forward. What's been the biggest difference? Yeah, I, I would say the coaching changes have yeah. been really huge for us. And, um, you know, we've got great schools. So I think when you're looking at a college softball player, I'm coming out of high school, and I want to go somewhere, and I want to play the highest level, but I also want to get a degree. You know, I mean, professional is awesome. The pro league is amazing, but you're not making millions to go your lifetime, right? So what are you going to fall back on after you get done playing softball? And now you get a chance to go to get a Duke education or Clemson or, you know, I mean, you look at the pack is a little bit the same way. And, you know, coaching at Stanford, that was a big thing because people wanted to be competitive coming there. And then they're leaving with a degree that's going to hold them for a long time. So you've got a lot of those schools in our conference that really can, can check both boxes. Now you're getting competitive and you're getting out there and, you know, you see Duke and some of these teams. I mean, I had a long conversation with Lacey the other day. She absolutely loves Duke and all what it's about. And she's coaching softball there. It's just, it's a really cool combination. So I think that part of it, the coaching staffs have gotten great. Um, the game is getting better. I mean, my gosh, you know, as a pitching coach, you know, hitting coaches are awesome in our game right now, but so much video. So we're going to be on TV more. Yeah. More people are going to find out what's that one pitch you can throw. Oh, she can't throw another one. 
we're hammering that one pitch. You're like, dang, yeah. it's a pitching coach, right? <laughs> yeah. like, I need more arsenal in the bullpen, or I need to develop more pitching, or I need to get a better psyche. And the game has changed, and there's more runs. Now it's exciting for fans, and now people yeah. want to be out there. It's not one nothing for seven inning. It's nine to eight, and we're in the seventh, and bases are loaded. And yeah. <laughs> Do I have someone in the pen? Do I not? Do I stick here? It's just become really, really fun, and people are going to get that entertainment now. And I think that the ACC network is going to do more so for the ACC exactly what the SEC network did for SEC, especially softball teams, because it it gives you the ability to recruit from around the country. Now that elite athlete that maybe lives on the opposite coast isn't worried about leaving their parents because their parents can see them play ball every weekend, even when they physically can't be there. And that's a big part of, you know, women's sports a lot of times when your daughter has, you know, been out playing, most mom and dads travel with their, with their kids and are used to watching them play week in and week out. So yeah. I think that's a big part of it. And then, again, facilities. Facilities are a big part of it. And as the ACC network grows and there's more money coming into the um, conference and money comes back in and those schools spend money on the women's programs, you know, yeah. not specifically just softball, but mm-hmm. facilities help drive your ability to recruit, mm-hmm. and that's a big part of it. I think on that, too, now as an athletic director – Oh my goodness! My team's on my my school's on TV exactly. on Wednesday night. You watch the game and you're like, I don't like the product that's there. This is not representing my school. Then there comes the coaching changes and then all these bits and pieces. So now, when your alumni are watching your school on TV, they're proud of the product. Where I think a lot of times with the ACC and and that's where we've got to all the coaching changes is ADs see that and go, that's not what I want. I, I want my I want my school represented better. So yes, facilities, yes, coaching, and that's come about by TV. Yeah. Well, and there's going to be more people attending the games because, and we're actually going to have to make the facilities and able to seat more people because even tonight, y'all's game is sold out. Mm-hmm. Days ago, same thing for <clears throat> Oklahoma, Texas. These games are continually getting sold out because of exposure. Mm-hmm. More people are able to see the game, and we know that if more people are able to see the game, people love softball, so they're going to be wanting to come to the yeah. game and see it themselves more. So now not only are facilities going to need to get better, but they're going to be able to have to hold more fans because if you build it, they will come. Yeah. That's awesome. Really exciting. All right, number seven on the lineup card. Of course, Monday night this week we had the NPF draft. I know you guys were playing a doubleheader while that mm-hmm. was going on, but <laughs> Megan King was selected number 11 overall by the Cleveland Comet. Comets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's it's pretty cool. Um, in the last couple of years, we have been playing. I don't know. We've played every draft. Yeah, we have. Every draft that we've played. Yeah. Like, don't yeah. tell anybody. We're like, one year we took all the phones away because we didn't want them to know. I think it was yeah. the year JB was number one, yes. right? So we took the phones away and we went made it to the airport and we're like, okay, let's do it. And it was kind of fun. <laughs> you know, we made it a festival and all that. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's just neat that there's something else for these kids to do after college. It's, it's pretty neat. But I know that Megan is um, really driven on Puerto Rico. Yeah. And so, you know, there's two opportunities for the kids now, right? So there, there's Pro League and then there's your international and we're all feeling the excitement of international because of the Olympics coming up and um, those, a lot of the Puerto Ricans are getting excited about what they have and mm-hmm. so do I want to go play pro and, and be a little tired going into possibly a summer that's really huge for Puerto Rico you know decisions how cool is that that they have yeah. decisions afterwards so yeah so but really fun well, I'm, I'm glad that the, the league the pro league is continuing to add some more teams because unfortunately with that oversight by the IOC to not have um, <laughs> softball in the in the Paris mm-hmm. Olympics in 2024. We need the Pro League to yeah. continue to be strong because we need these athletes to continue to play yeah. so that for 2028 in L.A., 
you know, we still have a lot of women playing the game. And I always love to remind people that I was 29 when I threw in my first Olympic Games. 29. So a lot of these kids, 18 to 22, think they're, you know, the best athlete they mm-hmm. version of themselves. <laughs> Not even close, okay? Yeah. It's like, you know, the best MLB <laughs> baseball players, late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. They're not near their prime. So my advice would be keep playing. Play somewhere, whether or not it's in Japan or in the NPF. If you're lucky enough to play for a team uh, country, do that. Play as much as you can for as long as you can. And, uh, and great things will happen. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. One thing I was uh, thinking of when you looked at the draft picks is Kylan Becker mm-hmm. didn't get drafted for Ole Miss. Yeah. And I, I, I hear through the grapevine that she's somebody who wanted to get drafted. She wanted mm-hmm. to play. And I was just surprised about that because I think that Kylan Becker is a great player. She even played with the U.S. national team <laughs> yeah. for a little bit. I, I just was stunned. So when I looked at the picks and there were five rounds and she didn't go – I, I just wanted to say that out loud because I, I was really surprised that she didn't get picked. She should have gone to Auburn, then she would have been set. Yeah, <laughs> Auburn had their class. whole senior class. And I yeah. think it's Veach, the girl Veach's brother's coaching with one of the teams. So, yes. I mean, you know, it's a who's who, who you know, all of that, mm-hmm. all the way around. And softball <laughs> lately is even more that way. So, <laughs> she can play, though. She's a good player. Yeah, play. someone's going to pick her up yeah, if she absolutely. throws her name out there and says, I want to play. Yeah. 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 What did you guys think about Florida having the top two picks with Kelly Barnhill and Amanda Lorenz? Yeah, it's pretty fair. Yeah, yeah. It's not, <laughs> not too surprising. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now that Barnhill's out of the USA mix, then she's an option for the Bandits. Mm. If she's with USA, she doesn't even figure in in the draft mm. at all. And same with Lorenz. I know she's bubble for Team USA. She wants yeah. to do that, but she didn't make the team. So her chance to keep playing, like you said, Michelle, yeah. is, is yeah. the pro league. Yeah, and they can be asked back for, you know, this the, the team that is on the field for Team USA right now could look completely different when they yeah. pick the Olympic mm-hmm. team. So just got to keep playing and get your opportunity to go back to tryouts, and you never know what will happen. Yeah. All right, next on your lineup card is my favorite. Mm-hmm. It's time for a Schlagen Stats. How was that? Courtney was, was practicing in the hotel room. Yeah. I, I have been practicing since the seven-inning podcast started. It's, it's hard <laughs> not to do a funny yeah. face and do it, though. We'll Everybody you, should practice We'll let you do it. Are you serious here soon so you yeah, can yeah, get the yeah. full Do you want to try it? No, no way. Schlagen Stats, no chance. All right, so my Schlagen Stat... Announce your voice, please. Oh, sorry. This week, my shagging stat goes back to the Texas, Texas, Oklahoma series. Texas has outscored its opponents in the fourth inning, seventy-eight to ten. Ooh. Um, I'll just be going to my regular voice. Um, Boo. I always do. I just have it's a habit now. I've created a routine. Um, I'm going to the Big Ten actually to Northwestern. They've had their best forty game start in the eighteen year tenure of head coach Kate Drohan, and they're twelve and zero in the Big Ten, which is leading the Big Ten. A little yes. surprise yeah. there in that conference. Eleven game winning streak. Oh. Adding on to my shagging yeah. stats. That's my stats. That was a that was a that was a, a double dip. Well, guess what? I'm going to do it too, and I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Bayless for Oklahoma State Homer. Homer, well, well, actually, she was ten for twelve um, over the weekend, but I can't use that because you guys would call me Homer. Homer. Would you just call me a homer? So, actually, I'm going to double dip now. I'm going to go to Montana Foul. She was out for three weeks. She was out for three weeks um, and has come back 
So she pitched against UGA four innings. She gave up one hit, seven strikeouts, only 17. And this is the sh- the stat, actually. The actual stat. The actual stat. Only 17 walks on the entire year. No walks after being out for three weeks. No walks in that four-inning wow. appearance. So she yeah. has been outstanding. Really good. Not giving up the free passes. That's my shagging stat. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. That was good. I'm going to go to small schools because you know how much I love these other conferences. Uh, Conference USA Player of the Week, Jordan Thomas. During a doubleheader this weekend, she let off both games with a home run. It's like How a George cool is that? It's like that is cool. for the Astros. That's cool. That's, That's great. That's a great thing. Uh, let's toss it out here. You guys got some? Shag and stat? What? I have one. Oh. Um, hold on, hold on. It's, it's like you, Scott. I'm Scott Moriak, Sports Information Director from Florida State. <laughs> All right. Scotty Shag and stat. Yeah. Oh, he's got an announcer yeah, voice. He does. Is that nine different conferences are represented in the top 25 of the RPI this week. Yeah. All of the Power Five, along with the Colonial. Missouri Valley, American, and the Sun Belt. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of parody in the game. Go softball. Ooh, wow. Wow. Go softball. That's a great stat. Yeah. Anybody else? I got one. Nice. Let's do it. Last week, Coach Alameda, Coach Snyder, and Coach Wilson won their 400th game together. That's yeah. right. That's right, Congratulations. And we're still working on season number eight, so you can do the math of how many we're winning each year. Right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Congrats, guys. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. That was Shagged Stats. Very last one. Nine spot. Give me some Jimmy. All right. Time to turn over the lineup. Our first question is going to go to Kocha. So you were uh, very kind, and you joined us on the podcast last year. Then you went on to win a national championship. So how much credit do you give the 70s podcast for that national championship? And second part, when do we get our rings? Oh my god, it's huge credit, right? Uh, we even talked about it. It was pretty fun. But you guys are amazing. What you've done for the game pretty awesome. So now it's have a good time. So thank you. <laughs> All right, the ring part. rings are in the mail. rings. Okay. <laughs> nice. There's a lot of softball, baseball slang. Like can, can of corn and four bagger and all these like crazy <laughs> terms. Now I want to know what you guys, what your favorite like softball slang word. Mm. Now I would say let's keep it clean because I know there's some <laughs> that are a little bit. But we let we let bro say badass, so go yeah, for it, whatever you want. Nice, yeah. And Michelle, Amanda, Courtney, jump in if you guys have one. Hundred hopper. Ground ball up the middle. 100 hopper. Or a worm burner. Worm burner. Nice. Oh, yeah. CNI single? Yeah. CNI single. Yeah. yeah. The duck fart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know, but that one sucks. I think mine's throw him a chair. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Two strikes mm-hmm. on a batter. Throw him a chair. Mm-hmm. I always yeah. like that one. Yeah. 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 I wish we yeah. could be inside the dugout tonight in the game or oh, put a microphone yeah. in there and just yeah. hear you guys use these phrases. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, that mic'd up segment has been going pretty good when the coach has been mic'd up yeah, on the Monday like nights. Enjoyed those. Yeah. Had a couple walk-offs on there. So yeah. Yeah. Good job by you guys. Yeah. yeah. Well played. Yeah. It's all us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, do you have one? Texas leaguer? Come on. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> it was some Aggieisms, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. I can't. None of them come to mind. Yeah, I can't honestly. Think of it. I know I'm boring. Do you know can of corn? What it's from? Can of corn. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know where it comes from, but I know what it is. Yeah, because so, we look these up all the time. Because we talk about this all the time. Like you know, you say all the time, like it's piece of cake, whatever. Like where does that come from, right? So back in the old days, and they had the little markets, and they had to stack things really high. So like your soup cans and your cans really high in the mom pop markets. 
you'd literally go to the top and you knock it down and you catch it in your apron. So it was a can of corn. It was as easy to catch a can of corn. Great. So easy pop up. Great like history. Corn, so oh, I love it. You just pull some things up and you get it and you're like, yeah. oh, that totally makes sense. That's, we do all like dress to the nines, like all those things that we pulled up all the time. So <laughs> kind of interesting, that. right? You say it all the time, but what does that really mean? Why are we saying that? And so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the perfect way to wrap up the 7 Innings yeah. podcast today. Can't inquire. Awesome. I, I think the best way would be for you to do your, your best Beth Moen's impression oh, as we go How did we go this whole time oh, without man. it? Yes. All right. Bemo, Horo, Schmitty. That's it for the 7 Innings podcast. <laughs> On the way to the women. On the road to the Women's College World College. Series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good.